everyone. Welcome to Any Given You. I'm your host, Michael Megan. We have an awesome show for you tonight. The NCAA one-time transfer is adopted. That's right, folks. It's getting stamped into legislation on the 28th of April, and this is absolutely huge news. So, here at Any Given You, we have compiled a list of topics that need to be discussed regarding what this means for the future of college football. Now, some of this is speculation based on a pretty good idea of how we see this playing out. But we already seen a good deal of what we're discussing tonight as we edge closer to what I felt was an eventuality anyway. So we have seven talking points on tonight's show that may broaden your thoughts and feelings regarding this momentous event in college football, and not only college football, but the college athletics landscape. Before we start, I'd like to mention that the rule doesn't only pertain to football. This rule impacts the big five revenue sports at the college level, those being football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, and hockey. But I'm I'm fairly certain that this rule never gets the traction that it has without the NCAA's largest revenue sport, and of course, that is football. So, number one, there are more players in the transfer portal than there are scholarships available, and that's sort of a widely known thing, right, in uh, in college football. Also, college basketball suffers from this as well, having the second highest number of collegiate athletes in the transfer portal. But there are currently more than a thousand football players, 1,000, more than 1,000 football players in the uh, in the portal alone. And the problem is, is that especially this time of year for the 2021 cycle, there is more than likely less than 500 scholarships available. That means that over half of these players that are in the portal right now are going to be out on their ass. And I think kids are going to find out that the world isn't fair. They gap, the, you know, as they say, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It rarely is. If you're not in the top percent of the transfer market as far as you know, talent, ability, and marketability and whatnot, A, you're likely not getting picked, you know, probably not going to land somewhere. B, you're forfeiting a fully paid education at your previous school if you were a scholarship athlete. C, you're going to have to look probably at a lower division option to snag a scholarship. And D, I think you, you shouldn't forget that there's an unending tide of high school kids that are coming up behind you. When you enter the portal, you are in a land of limited resources on a running clock. So while you're floating around there in the ether of the portal, a lot of moves are happening and and you're kind of stuck because the second that you enter the transfer portal, your coach has the option to terminate your scholarship. So you will end up in this no man's land very quickly and you sort of throw yourself at the mercy of the portal and it doesn't, and it's it's not going to work out for everybody. In fact, it's not going to work out for most people. So that is something that needs to be discussed for sure and understood by everyone at all levels. Number two, kids are still going to transfer multiple times. This is going to happen. Um, You know, not only are we talking about graduate transfers, 
you know, kids that have completed their education at one school and they're moving on to another to pursue a master's degree or whatever, the NCAA will still honor those graduate transfers. So it is very likely that, you know, you could see a lot of kids end up playing for three different schools in their college career because of this now. Um, I would also say that there's also no shortage of these NCAA lawyers out there looking to represent top talent and advocate on their behalf for a fee, of course, to get kids out of a program and into another. Uh, That is an aspect that's not going away. And if you have the right combination of words to put into your argument, the NCAA will usually uh, comply. You know, um, this, this just sort of comes down to the rule of American exceptionalism. If you're an elite talent and a main attraction, the NCAA knows it's in their best interest to have you playing on TV. They, uh, they don't want Mike Megan running a 5-2-40 and dropping passes out there. People are not going to watch that shit. So, um, you know, so if you are a, you know, supremely gifted and talented athlete uh, and you make a good enough argument, good enough case, and you have the right representation, as we've seen in cases with players like Justin Fields, for example, uh, transferring to Ohio State and gaining immediate eligibility, it's because he's a main draw and a main attraction. And uh, so, yeah, it can work out for you. However, I'd like to bring up sort of one last clause to this point here. I like to call it the Terrell Owens factor. So let's say that a player makes a habit out of program hopping, right? And that could be a major locker room distraction. Coaches don't want to deal with that, you know, in addition to all the other shit that's on their plate already, you know, and I think T.O. is a prime example of this sort of cautionary tale. He's supremely talented. He's an incredible athlete. And at the end of the day, that didn't matter. He was viewed as a talk, you know, kind of a toxic force to the locker room. And ultimately his career was cut short because of this. I would say that to say this, there's a player currently in the college ranks. Um, many people have heard this story already, but his name is Eric Gilbert. He's the super talented uh, former five-star tight end out of Marietta, Georgia. He signed with LSU. He played for LSU last year, had a good freshman year. But he's a perfect example of sort of the T.O. factor currently uh, because he announced he was transferring from LSU. He transferred to the University of Florida and promptly decommitted. And we really haven't heard anything out of him since. Um, In fact, the last news that we heard out of him from a couple of days ago is he's actually back in Baton Rouge uh, talking with uh, Coach Orgeron. Uh, He took the jump. He landed in Florida, he decommitted again, and I think he realized, or sort of, you know, at least what the empirical evidence is showing, is that there was not another team that was willing to take him in. I think uh, he he shopped the yard, and I think it, you know, there there were a lot of coaches out there that didn't want to deal with that headache and, and the possible distraction and questioning his level of commitment after, you know, essentially decommitting from two programs. So, you know, I think kids need to be careful with that before they start playing this thing like it's straight up free agency at the professional level. Number three, I'd like to talk about rosters. Um, in particular, especially this time of year, I think it's very related to what I'm about to talk about. Spring football, spring, it will effectively show us nothing in the way of what a team is going to look like in the fall. Um, because of this rule, position battles 
may effectively determine how many kids you're going to lose. Uh, you know, typically we, we saw this a lot in the quarterback ranks because there's really, you know, there's really only room for one quarterback on the field at a time. And that is a very, you know, that's a limited position there. Uh, and it's, it can be a crowded quarterback room situation. So it was sort of known that, okay, if a kid wasn't going to win the QB battle by his second, third year, you could probably expect him to transfer somebody. With this new rule, I think we're going to see multiple position groups affected. It's not just going to be quarterbacks. I think you're, you're going to be looking at guys in the secondary. They're going to be looking to transfer receivers, running back, everybody across the roster, you know, spread across the entire depth chart. If your if your you know your ones and twos are battling it out, and you you know let's say you have a talented number two that has not won that position, there's a very good chance that that guy's going to say sayonara and use a free transfer to go to potentially your rival. And so what this means for rosters, in particular in player development, it's going to become more important. Um, than ever, I think, at schools that historically enjoy landing top recruiting classes. It's not when you have this embarrassment of riches on your roster, a ton of four and five star recruits, you know, and, and, and every every position room is absolutely crowded. The shelf life on a lot of these guys, if they're not getting significant snaps and playing time at your school, you know, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you see them start to jump jump ship and um so i think coaches need to be in a position where you know they 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 are very very comfortable you know getting down to their three deep and their four deep and really developing those guys with the real um the real sort of realistic expectation that those players are probably going to be seeing seeing the field in the fall if you know their talented number two loses out or their former number one loses out uh you know he's more than likely could be packing his bag. So that that is going to become, you know, a, a, uh, a source or, or I should say a point of emphasis uh, across college football in these coaching staffs. Um, the other thing that it sort of, it's going to hit programs hard is major programs will not be able to reload the same number of scholarship athletes and scholarship talent they're, go- they're going to lose in a given year. Actually, there was a quote by uh, Coach Dan Mullen, Florida Gators head man uh, on CBS Sports, uh, and he was quoted as saying, people don't grasp that part of it. He went on to say, let's say that we have 23 you know, players signed, and we finish spring ball, and six kids want to enter the transfer portal. I know this sounds like a math problem right now, but let's say we finish spring ball, and six kids enter the transfer portal. You, he can only sign two right? Because you're only allowed 25 scholarship slots per year as per the NCAA rules at this time, because these universities can't just be, you know, paying full ride scholarships for anybody and everybody. So essentially what he's saying is just because he loses six guys doesn't mean he has six scholarship slots available that year. He still only has two. So it could create quite a dilemma for head coaches being able to reload scholarship level talent that transfers to another program. Uh, Next, number four, I'd like to talk about some big winners overnight. You know, this is definitely, this is some good, good news for, uh, you know, a lot of programs, but some programs in particular, and I'd like to talk about a couple. 
First off, this is huge news for Oklahoma. Uh, they picked up a trio of guys that was leaving the Tennessee sinking ship a few, you know, a few weeks back with uh, all the sanctions and the investigations and all the nasty stuff that happened there in Knoxville. And these were three guys that more than likely were going to be starting for the Volunteers this upcoming year. Um, actually, one of them was even already in the starting rotation. That was running back Eric Gray. Uh, and I think he's going to bring a lot to Oklahoma's backfield. He ran for 772 yards last season, had a bunch of touchdowns. And uh, and so he is now in Norman, as is offensive lineman Wanye Morris, who is a former five-star prospect and the linchpin of Tennessee's 2019 recruiting class. They also picked up Tennessee defensive back Key Lawrence, who was a rotational guy in 10 games last season. And so, um, yeah, I mean, they, they've, they've gotten an upgrade. Not only are these guys, you know, transferring there, but they're all uh, immediately eligible to play because of this rule. Uh, now, Eric Gray and Wanya Morris have two years of eligibility remaining, and Key Lawrence has three. So that means that not only are these guys able to play immediately for the Oklahoma Sooners, but these are guys that they could potentially have playing for the next couple of years. Uh, there in uh, you know for Oklahoma, uh, Florida is another big winner overnight. They pick up defensive tackle uh, Antonio Shelton from Penn State and defensive tackle DeQuan Newkirk from Auburn. Both of which are immediately eligible to play now um, because of, because of this rule going into effect. And they also have the former five-star recruit out of Clemson, Demarcus Bowman, who transferred and. Like I said, officially, they will all become available right away due to this week's legislation getting passed. And then I have to take a trip to Atlanta and talk about Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech because they have also benefited from this tremendously. They had a dozen transfers that were going, you know, to transfer, you know, or or that are right now in Atlanta, uh, set to play for the Yellow Jackets. Only one of them was available to play uh, immediately. As of a couple of weeks ago, now they are all immediately eligible to play in 2021, and that is a huge boost for the Yellow Jackets roster and a big win for Jeff Collins and the Collins, excuse me, and the boys there uh, in Atlanta. The next point I would like to talk about is the talent gap. Um, now it's going to remain to be seen how this will affect the parity across college football. Um, Really, this kind of breaks down to going one of, I, I hate to say one of two ways, because there's there's several ways that something can go. There's nuances that, you know, there's a hybrid of ways things could go. But basically, what I'm getting at is, do we see a scenario in which the rich get richer and where kids spend two or three years at smaller schools and then transfer their junior, senior year to one of the powerhouse programs or one of the big blue bloods, you know, those, those top four to six teams that are always playing for a national title. You know, do we see Alabama just continue to get a steady trickle of guys from other schools where they've developed for a couple of years and a pretty good player and then, you know, go and give their services to the Crimson Tide or the Buckeyes or the, the Clemson Tigers or Oklahoma or Georgia or Oregon you know, is this what we're going to see, sort of the rich get richer scenario? Or do we see, you know, scores of 
former five-star and four-star kids landing at lesser power five programs or group of five programs to get more playing time and exposure? The answer to that is I don't know. No, none of us do. We're, we're going to have to see sort of what the chronic effects of this are as it plays out over the years. But I think um, I would personally, I would like to see the latter of those two options. I think we are all getting a little fed up with the same, you know, basically three to four teams that are going, you're going to see in the college football playoff. I, I'm a big fan of expansion uh, for the playoff, but that's the topic of another discussion for another time. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens to the talent gap. This is either going to widen it or close it. Um, in all likelihood, I think we see a scenario where things mostly stay the same. I, I think that the, your, your powerhouse programs are going to continue to recruit and develop at a level that they historically do. I think a lot of those programs kind of recruit themselves, but it could be exciting for some of these smaller group of five programs or lesser power five programs. They're sort of on the cusp and they're really just looking for a couple of good Jims and Joes to come into their uh, into their program and, and potentially transform what they have going there in a, in a you know a, a quick on a, on a quick timetable. You know, I'm thinking of programs, obviously like um, you know UCF and you know, Boise State and you know some of these other ones, even even uh, lesser Power Five programs like we just mentioned a minute ago, Georgia Tech, Minnesota. You know these these teams that are kind of on the bubble of potentially being pretty good. Um, and maybe a couple of, you know, well-timed transfers really get them to another level. So that would be interesting to see how that plays out, but uh, we will have to see. The next point I would like to bring up is we need to talk about coaching, all right? We talked about roster development, um, excuse me, we talked about roster development a moment ago, right? And so now I want to talk about coaching. Now, head coaches and their staffs, and I don't want to talk about X's and O's here, I want to talk about something else that is going to become very pertinent in today's age with what this means, right? Head coaches and their staffs, they're going to have to become more diplomatic than ever. There will be huge implications to keeping these kids happy. You know, we could see new jobs needed on coaching staffs that are solely dedicated to the retention of players as much as the recruitment of players. And this is going to become a 24-7-365 job. Uh, I think you're going to see that staffs that do a poor job of handling this will suffer and expectations for successfully recruiting the transfer market will be higher than ever. I, I made this point on some previous shows, but it was well understood for a long time in college football that Flipping a roster or building a championship caliber program took some time, especially if you weren't just inheriting a championship caliber program, it was going to take some time. And that grace period was usually three to five, even up to six years in some, in some cases. Now with how this transfer market could potentially play out here, I think that that is going to shorten that timetable considerably, especially if you're already at a program that has great facilities, a great fan base, you know, alumni that contribute boosters and great marketing. Um, and if, you know, if you aren't a program that's doing that and you're not 
you know, attractive that way in the transfer market, that's going to start to become more and more important. I think you're going to see front office expansion at schools like you've never seen prior. Facilities are going to be absolutely marquee. Same with student housing. That's going to become a must. There's going to have to be incentives to stay and it's going to be crucial. Now, you don't have to like this, folks, you know, as far as what I'm talking about, keeping kids happy and pampering and pandering and all that other stuff. But the reality is, is that's where we are in the 21st century. The days of old guts and glory and, you know, get out there and break your heart and noses and necks for each other. That, that's unfortunately, I, I see that that's over. You know, that we, we are moving to where that is over. We are living in times of entertainment over sport purity. And this monster was created by us. It was created by the fan base, the folks that have exalted and elevated the game to the level that it currently sits at. It is the American pastime, uh, the NFL certainly, college football is not far off. It, there's a trickle down effect that's happening from pro sports at the college level. It's trickling all the way down to the high school level. So, you know, we, we have kind of sort of created this monster um, and now we, we're going to have to live with it. And, you know, speaking of my last point, speaking about fan bases, what can we expect as fans? You know, unfortunately, college football is going to lose something that, in my opinion, makes it so special. Um, now, if you're an avid fan of your school, you track these young men for about six years. Let's be honest, about six years, right? Because it starts when you catch their name on Max Preps or Rivals.com or on, you know, ESPN's Top 300. You're overjoyed when they choose your school. Uh, you see them develop from these scrawny little green high school kids into serious playmakers and household names. And it's, it's, it's kind of like watching a really great show on HBO with awesome storyline and fantastic character development you have fun you 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 invest your your attention into into these guys you you enjoy watching them make plays you remember what they've done year after year you know, oh man he's gotten big or oh man he's so much better than last year or, i remember when i remember you know watching this kid in high school wow you know look at him now and they go on to the draft and and then, you know, they exit college football and you still may even track them in the NFL. And I, I think you're going to lose a little bit of that at the college level. I think we're losing some of that here. You know, I, I would caution folks, don't get too attached to seeing your favorite players in your school's colors. Uh, so quickly, your heroes may become your, your villains. The NFL already has this drama on a wide scale. You know, roster turnover in the NFL is ridiculous year in and year out. And so it becomes very hard to become attached to some of these NFL rosters. And I think you're going to see some of that same stuff in college football, unfortunately. Now, what are my final closing thoughts on this? All in all, I'm happy the NCAA is going to push this into effect. And I have a few reasons for that. Number one, it allows these young men and women to have some say in their future. That's the point of higher education. You choose an area of study, you select a career path, you become an adult. If a student athlete, you know, arrives on a campus and it's not a good fit, that said athlete should have a vote in whether or not they stay there. Number two, 
personal responsibility. And I like this one. Kids are going to get an education of exactly what they're worth. And they'll have no one to blame if their choice leaves that, you know, that leads down a path that they didn't want to go and it doesn't pan out. They have nobody to blame but themselves. So some personal responsibilities can be learned out of this. Number three, it gives an opportunity for smaller schools to re-recruit, you know, some of these athletes. Like I mentioned earlier, if a blue blood does a poor job with player retention, a smaller school that seems to be having more fun or more, you know, more energy, better fit for that kid could snag a former, you know, a five-star kid. Uh, UCF, for example, you know, down there in the bounce house, Coach Malzahn had his players put their social media account handles on the back of their jerseys, you know. Now, I find this to be gaudy, and personally, I wouldn't do that at a program I'm running, but what the hell do I know? That may appeal to some kids for the exposure, and let's face it, it's social media, and it's not going anywhere. It's integrated into our daily lives to a ridiculous point, you know, I use it to try to promote this podcast, so... You know, I don't like it from a sport purity perspective, but again, you know, what do I know? The original point here that I was trying to make is I think you could see programs like, you know, like your UCFs, like your Houston's, your Boise State's, your UTSA's of the world. They could all benefit greatly from power five trickle down at a higher level than they do now, you know, moving forward. So, so there it is, folks. The transfer rule is in effect. The portal is not going anywhere. Um, And as the great American poet 50 Cent would say, you can hate it or love it, but that it is what it is. So, hey, if you enjoyed what you've heard today, please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, five star hopefully, and give us that oh so important review. Or at least tell a few friends about the podcast. They can catch us on Apple Pods, Spotify, Google Pods, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, all the casts, and Anchor, of course. Also, if you would like to get you some Any Given You swag, please visit our online store at squadlocker.com and search the Any Given You store. We have a great selection of affordable apparel for dudes, chicks, kiddos, and everyone. And the best part is... 10% of every purchase is donated to charitable causes. I do not take one cent for myself. If you have comments, suggestions, gripes, complaints, or otherwise, please shoot us an email at anygivenyou at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, anygivenyou at gmail.com. We'd love to get some fan-based material to discuss on future shows. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given topic, you get it at any given given.